0: Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church podcast. In our sermon series, "Follow Me," we will be looking at what it means to be a disciple. Today's speaker is Senior Minister Dee Dee Bacon. You have your bulletins with you. Are we ready? Ready. All right. So let's get our imagination imaginations engaged here. Let's uh, let's think together. Jesus is in a. Uh, Surrounded by a large crowd. You know, we've started our sermons through the series with that line, I think, at least three or four times, if I can remember correctly. Jesus is surrounded by a large crowd. Imagine that crowd, all the people there, come to hear Jesus. They're religious leaders in that crowd. These guys are called Pharisees. Their job is to try to pick holes in what Jesus is saying. They're threatened a little bit by him. They're inquisitive by him. They consider themselves the gatekeepers of sound doctrine to the people of Israel. And so they're quizzing Jesus about matters of the Old Testament because he's the rabbi that's landed on the scene and taken everyone's imagination captive, And so they grill him. They ask him, well, so is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? There are parents in that crowd too. Jesus has come from his home base in the north, the country, Galilee, and he's come to the south. He's in Judea where all the action is. And so, yes, there's a lot of activity. And so these parents are bringing their children to see Jesus because they've heard about him. They've heard about the miracles. They've, they've witnessed with their own eyes some amazing things. And so they do what parents do. They bring their kids and they want Jesus to touch and bless their kids. And so they're bringing their kids and the disciples of Jesus are like, hey, whoa, 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 no way. What do you think you're doing? These babies aren't supposed to be here. To which Jesus says, whoa, guys, no, let the children come to me. Let the children come to me because these children exemplify what it takes to be part of the kingdom. A simple and honest and innocent faith and trust in me. There's this large crowd and even in a large crowd there's this guy, this guy that we're told is a guy that's described in in the Gospel of Luke as a ruler. He's a young man, we're guessing, who has a, a sincere heart. He's he's devoted himself to do what's right before God. He's he's given himself to being as religious as he can, doing good. He's he's got a sincere heart. And in the middle of that heart, he has this big question that's burning inside of him that he just wants to ask Jesus. Jesus has finally come down into his area. Jesus is right there for him to ask the question. And and he's got this question that he wants to ask him so badly. Ever have that? Ever have a question you want to ask somebody and you want to ask him so badly, but every time you try to... uh, it's just not a good time. They seem distracted. You don't want to bother them. There's too many people around. You're a little nervous, embarrassed to ask it. But this question is just burning inside of you. It's burning inside of you. And you've got to ask it. You've got to ask it. Well, this guy was in this boat, and it seems like he was sitting in the crowd, and he's watching Jesus do his thing. He's listening to Jesus teach with the Pharisees. He's watching Jesus take the children and bless them. And, and then all of a sudden, he's got this question. He wants to ask it, and he notices that Jesus begins to walk away. He's beginning to leave. And he's like, yikes, what do I do? Let's turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. We see what this young man does, and we see the question that he asks. Verse 17, it says, as he, and of course the he here is Jesus, as he was setting out on a journey, as he was about to depart from that place, as he was about to to leave, A man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? There's the question. There's the question burning inside this man whose heart yearned for God. There's the question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Notice he comes humbly to Jesus. He kneels down. Notice he calls him teacher, which which would have been rabbi, which acknowledges that Jesus has something to offer in terms of truth. But notice he also says, you're not just a rabbi, you're a special rabbi, because he says, you're a good rabbi. And saying that he's a good rabbi, this young man acknowledges that Jesus is, is special because he sees something in him. That he recognizes that this guy is from God. Notice that Jesus acknowledges this. He picks up on this and he says this. He says, "And Jesus said to him, "Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone." And then he goes on to answer his question. Listen to what he says. He says, "You know the commandments: do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal." Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Now, what we have here is a listing of six of the Ten Commandments. Six of the commandments that were given to Moses on the mountain. Those Ten Commandments were ultimately a summary of what God expected his people to do in order to walk with him, to be classified as his people he, he notes six of the ten, and the six have to do with human relationships. These six are specifically giving instruction on how we're to operate with one another as humans. And so if you're a, a, a member of the, the people of Israel, uh, you're a part of the, the people of God, these six were instructions on how you're to relate to others. Jesus would summarize these six and say, well, you know, these six can be summarized in, in, in this concept. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do unto others as you would do have them do to you. Love your neighbor. As, if you want to really know what it means to, to walk with God, then love your neighbor as you love yourself. Of course, that's love God first, Right? So ultimately, Jesus says, the answer to your question is this, love God, love people. Love God and love people. Now, he then goes on. Listen to what the young man says. He said to him, this is, this is the young man, said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Here we see an insight into this young man. He's a good man. We would say he was a man who sincerely gave himself up to follow God. We would say this was a young man who is a very religious person. We would say this is a guy that that we would look to and say, wow, he's the kind of guy that that you would expect uh, to be blessed by God because he doesn't get drunk, he doesn't cuss, he treats honestly with people, he's faithful, he's good. He's a good man. When he said, I followed all these laws, I've done everything that that, that you've said, Jesus doesn't say, no, come on, you know, (laughs) we know. No, he, he takes him at his word. He doesn't correct him. Obviously, this man was a good person. Obviously, this man was walking right with the Lord, if you want to say. But guess what? It wasn't enough, was it? Even after... All these things that he was doing in his life, all these good things, he still had that burning question inside of him: "What shall I do?" And when you hear, when you say that, he's really saying, "What more shall I do?" Because what I'm doing isn't enough to inherit eternal life. Ultimately, with deep within inside of this man was a hole that his good deeds could not fill. So, what did Jesus say? He said, looking at him. Jesus felt love for him. I just love that phrase. Isn't that awesome? Why did he feel love for him? Because here he saw a young man whose heart was sincere. His desire was pure. He really, really, really wanted to know what it means to be made right with God. He was truly a seeker. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go and sell all you, all you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Here Jesus points to something that we talked about last week. See, the way to eternal life, we said last week, is how? It's through death and resurrection. Right? The cross of Jesus, the empty tomb of Jesus, allows rebirth, new life, resurrection, transformation, presence with God. It's the way of grace, we said. And we said the big cross of Jesus and the big empty tomb of Christ provides a way by which we, who are his followers, can have our small cross of surrender so that we might be born to new life. In our day to day, the way to be made right with God involves the cross and the empty tomb. The man believed that he had to add another good deed to his already impressive list of pious behavior. Jesus said, No, you don't need to add another good deed. You need to take away and give up the good, you need to surrender. Last week, many of you came forward and, 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 and poured out your heart before God and, and submitted yourself in, an, in, in a commitment of surrender. On those flags, you wrote your name. On those flags, you wrote your heart's desires. You poured out stuff. You, you communicated, and you took a flag. You put it at the foot of the cross. You made a commitment to surrender. That's why we have all the flags out front as a reminder of that beautiful moment last week. Those of you that weren't here, you're invited to partake in that, maybe off the service or during response, you can come down, and the flag's still there by the basket, and you can do the same thing. You can write your name. If there's something you want to surrender, if there's something you want to give to God, if you want to give up, then you can do that. But last week, we, surre- we called to surrender, and we said, surrender is the means by which we are able to receive that which God has given to us. And Jesus says the same thing. Surrender. Surrender as demonstrated in you being willing to give up all your wealth, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. But unfortunately, this was something that the man could not do. Listen to this. It's what it says. At, but at these words, verse 22, but at these words he was saddened and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Now, before I continue, I just want to say something right off the bat regarding this. Please do not take this whole teaching as a conversation piece for the good or the evil of wealth. It's not about wealth. Unfortunately, we have two schools of thinking within Christianity that are both extreme and are both wrong. The one school of thinking says that wealth in itself is inherently evil. A wealthy man is a person who is inherently bad. So if we're followers of Jesus, we should expect to be dirt poor. And particularly, our leaders should be expected to be dirt poor. Our preachers and our priests should have nothing. They should give themselves to the vow of poverty because poverty is a virtue. And they use this text as a proof text to that theological position. But that's an extreme, and that is incorrect. On the flip side of that, there are those that say, no, uh, the sign of God's blessing is wealth and prosperity. In fact, we call it the health and wealth gospel. And that says that if you're living right with God and you're receiving God's blessing, then you will receive material blessings in this world as a result of your faithfulness to God. In fact, your faith will be measured by the number of digits in your bank account. And so those who preach this gospel, they say, well, the man of God who is walking and is anointed with God should be the one that's actually the most blessed, so it's okay for him to have mansions and millions and fly around in jets doing his ministry. That is wrong. Those folks come to passages like that and they kind of skim over it and they get to the, to the passages where it talks about you will be blessed if you follow God and, and, and that. Both extremes are wrong. This is not about money. This is not about wealth. This is about the answer to the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And the answer to that question is surrender. For this man, surrender involved giving up his wealth. But for you and me, it may involve something else. Now, there's two important truths that Jesus highlights here that are, 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 I want to unpack a little bit here. Two important truths that we operate by. Two things that actually I have been, I've been saying, and it's going to be a saying this in a different way, but hopefully you get this. Two things that we operate by in this world. The first truth is this. The first truth goes like this. If you do good, then you will get good things. If you do good, then you'll get good things. Now, this is the truth of our world, right? What well, we find in Scripture that it says, if you follow the ways of God, then you can expect blessings. The people of Israel will say, hey, follow the Lord. Do what the commandments of the Lord say, and you will get blessed. You will be prosperous agriculturally, which was the sign of wealth in that, that time. You will, be able to, you will be able to gain riches and wealth and influence. Your, your health will be good. Your crops will be, will be good. Your, your life will be good. Your relationships will be good. And guess what? When someone attacks you as a nation, then you will be able to be strong enough because God will be with you and you will defeat them. If you do good, then good will come to you. Now, on the flip side, the opposite is true, right? If you do evil, then bad things will come to you. If you do not follow the ways of the Lord, guess what? You will suffer. Your crops will fail. Your relationships will be destroyed. There will be bad things coming into your life. When an aggressor attacks your country, you won't be able to defeat them. You will be put into captivity and enslavement. Why? Because if you do good, then you can expect good things. Now, this truth still happens today. Follow the ways of the Lord and you will be blessed. It still works today in, in many things. Uh, eat healthy and your body will be healthy. Work hard and you will receive the, the, the benefits of hard work. You will receive the blessings that you put into because you did good and you are receiving good. Follow the ways of the Lord, follow the wisdom of the Lord, and you can expect good things in your life. This young man was example A of this truth, right? This young man who was a ruler, who's also very wealthy, was obviously a man who followed God's word to the T. He did good and he received good. He was example A of this principle come to life. But the trouble is, is it wasn't enough. In his mind, he had to do, keep doing good in order to get the good. And he realized that in Jesus, there was something more that, that he needed. There was more to, to, to out there that he knew. He could not find the peace. He could not find the certainty that God was with him. He did good and he received good, but it wasn't enough. That way didn't seem to work. It was not It was inadequate. Hence he asked Jesus the question, what must I do? What more shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus pointed to a deeper truth. There's the truth, do good and you will receive good. We live by that. But there's a deeper, more powerful truth. And that truth goes like this. Give up your good and you'll receive the best. Give up your good for Jesus. Follow Jesus and you'll receive the best. Give up your striving to earn God's approval and accept the gift that God gives you, eternal life by grace through belief, and you will receive the best. Surrender to Jesus yourself, your good, and you will receive the best. Now, there are various examples of how this works in a person's life. Remember the story of the little guy called Zacchaeus who was a tax collector? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Remember that? As the Savior came that way, he looked down and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. From... We used to say when I grew up, we're going to your house for tea, right? Because Jesus was English and civilized. Anyway... But what does it say? Zacchaeus had an interaction with Jesus. He was a wealthy man. And what did he do? He gave. The surrender he made to Christ manifests itself in the generosity of giving away his earthly possessions. This, young, this man was challenged with the same thing. Yet he couldn't give up. He couldn't make that manifestation because his wealth was a symbol of his striving to do good, and he could not buy into the steeper truth that he had to give up his good in order to receive the best. See, Scripture says that, that, that our hearts, when receiving grace come to a point where we recognize that God has given us grace and now we're called to be a conduit of grace. And guess how that manifests itself? It manifests itself in realizing that God is the giver of all good things. All the stuff that he gives to me, he's given to me as a stewardship for me to make investments in this ministry of grace, to make heavenly investments. Therefore, if I'm right with God and he's working with me and I've surrendered myself to me, then I'm into, I'm going to express that in generosity. I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to give away my stuff and even if I have a lot of stuff I'm going to give away a lot of stuff but God, God has blessed me Well, I'm called to bless others and make an investment in his kingdom. Are you following with me? Give up the good in order to get the best. How about this good? How about the right for revenge? What do you mean, Didi? Well, when someone hurts me when someone offends me when someone disappoints me when someone lies to me when someone's mean to me by this system of do good get get good they do bad they should get bad that's fair by the system of revenge when someone hurts me in this way of law then it's appropriate for me to expect them to pay for it retribution to demand that they pay for their wrongdoing. That's right. That's justice. Right? That's justice. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? But then when Jesus comes into my life, we realize, wait a minute, I'm that, that, that servant that was forgiven much. And now God wants me to be a forgiver of those who have had minor offenses to me because I once was lost, but now I'm found. And now I've received forgiveness. And because I've surrendered myself to Jesus, I'm going to now look to the offenses that I've received. And because of my right relationship with God, I'm going to forgive. And what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is not sweeping it under the rug. Okay? Forgiveness is not saying, oh, it's okay. Oh, I hate you. Oh, it's okay. It didn't hurt. Oh, it hurt like, you know what? I, I. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not playing like everything's okay. No, forgiveness is actually being gutsy enough to say, this, what you did to me, hurt me deeply. This, what you did to me, is, is tearing me up. This, what you did to me, is going to take some time emotionally to get over and I'm going to acknowledge with you the truth of the hurt. But guess what? I am going to choose not to hold it against you. I'm going to choose not to demand that you pay for the, for the hurt that you've given to me. Because God does not demand that I pay for the hurt that I give to him. That's forgiveness. So maybe what you need to surrender Is not wealth, but maybe what you need to surrender is the offenses you've received and nursed and made into quite big monsters in your life. One loss. How about this application? We live in a world of opinions. We can post it, tweet it, Instagram it. We can snap it. We can make our opinions known. And praise God, hey, we live in a free country. And when it comes time to sharing opinions and ideas, we all have one. And the way it works, as far as I can see, is he who shouts the loudest wins, right? So if I can type it out, if I can scream it, I can say it, I can do it. I have a right to express myself, and I have a right to express my opinions. Political, patriotic, religious, whatever. We live in a world of opinions, a shouting match of ideas. That's what it's come down to. Well, maybe, just maybe, the good that I give up is my New York reaction to scream, shout, tweet, post, snap, Instagram. I choose not to do that, not because I don't, I don't, it's wrong, not because of what I say isn't the truth. I choose not to do that because I realize that I'm called to be a change agent in this world. And participation in the screaming matches we call social media or the world we live in, those screaming matches don't achieve that at all. And ultimately, God is calling me to be one who bears with others, even in my own church, others who have different political points of view, different views on life, different understandings of how things should be done. I need not to, not to, to condemn and shout at them. Instead, uh, come beside them and persuade them and encourage them and do what the Bible says is bear with them in love, patiently teaching them, patiently guiding them, choosing to keep my tongue behind my teeth. I have a right to speak, but I'm going to hold my right in order to love in order to do what's best, in order to uplift, in order to be faithful to what Jesus calls me to do, and in the Scriptures it says, do not let any unwholesome words come out of my mouth. That also includes your keyboards or your little uh, phones, right? Give up my good in order to be blessed with the best. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It was a good man who sat in a crowd very similar to this. A good man who was a religious man. He would have been a churchgoer. He would have been one of the probably leaders of our church. He would have been a guy that we would have said, Hey, this guy's got it down. He don't cuss, he don't drink. He's faithful to his wife, he honors his parents, he doesn't kick the dog. He pays his taxes. He's our guy. Yet he still didn't have the answer to the question, did he? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why? Because he lived by the truth, do good and receive good, and ultimately that is inadequate we want the best if we want eternal life we have to understand that it involves giving up my good in order to follow Jesus surrender surrender one time when you come forward and you share hey I believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God and, and, I, and my old self dies and my new self is born again and, and, and symbolized represented in baptism one time and then daily time Daily time where I learn to live in this new way, understanding that the way of grace means surrender. Surrender my good so that I may be blessed with the best, eternal life. Is there a question burning inside of you? Is there an unease that's within you that can be captured with the question, what? shall I do to inherit eternal life? What shall I do to to receive the joy, the comfort, the peace that comes from, from fully knowing that I'm right with God and I'm his child and he's my father? If that question is still burning inside, Jesus' answer is surrender. Give up that good, give up that striving in order to receive the blessed. Live by grace. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you for the story, and we thank you for just the, the testimony we received from the account of this young man, a good man. You loved him. It says you loved him. You loved him because he was earnestly seeking you, and he was earnestly uh, pursuing the answer to his question, what shall I do to etern- receive eternal life? I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to us through the story. You know, every one of us, uh, those of us who are Jesus followers, whatever stage we are in that following process, new or in between, or we've been following for many years, Lord, we have a tendency to start uh, gravitating towards thinking, well, since uh, if I do good, I'm going to get good, we start thinking it's all about us, and we start forgetting that it's really about surrender about giving up our good in order to receive the best, giving up our good in order to love, giving up our good. We sang about the presence of the Holy Spirit, to follow by the Spirit, living by the words uh, and and the the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I pray that you would help us in that, to really grasp that, to really capture that, to really understand that. I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.